0: Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson. I'm so glad you're here today as we continue our Get Wise series as we look at the wisdom of Proverbs. And as we come to this, this uh, section, if you will, this topic of um, wise money or wise wealth, I was thinking there's gotta be like a million-dollar question to ask that would just get us thinking about this, get us interacting about this. And, and then I'm like, oh, there is. So if you were given a million dollars after taxes even, how would you spend it? You cannot save it. How would you spend a million dollars? Isn't that a million dollar question? Go ahead. I had time to think about it, so you can too. I would love to see that beautiful horseshoe waterfall in South America and take the L- airplane ride over it and then get to go on both sides, both the Argentina side and the Brazil side. That would be something I'd like to do. I'd probably, though, take the first five or $600,000 and buy this little piece of property over here on 147th and Johnny Cake that's like six or seven or eight acres that, that somebody in our church actually designed the, a place that we could have a campus and a church. And I, so I'd buy that land and either lease it or, or gift it to the church, and then maybe start a little nest egg fund of the capital campaign for that, and maybe send, help my kids go to college. But that's just how I would spend the money, and I had a little more time to think about it, but the question really reveals something about where our heart is. See, Jesus says that, that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so sometimes it's full of adventure, and sometimes it's full of fashion, and sometimes it's full of debt, and sometimes it's full of thinking of how this money can outlast us, or how our life can outlast us, like we've talked in the past. And so this question, though, reveals what we also see as our limitations, See, we talked about work, and this isn't to say, let's, let's talk about winning a million dollars and spending it so that we don't have to work. We talked about wise work last week. Proverbs talks all about that. You can, um, and we'll be going through a lot of scriptures today, so uh, my best encouragement to you, unless you're really fast with your fingers, is just to write the numbers down, and you can look at them at a later time, because we'll go through so many. But Proverbs 10 says that lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And Proverbs Fifteen, did I miss fifteen? Alright, hang on. Well, Proverbs fifteen six says, The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings ruin. Just think about that one for a minute. The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings ruin. What does it mean to contain great treasure? Beyond wise wealth, what does it mean? And beyond money, what does it mean to have great treasure contained within the house of the righteous? See, Solomon does say that the faithful person will be richly blessed, but the one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. See, this, this isn't a talk about how to have more money or save more money or to get more money. There's, there's probably good people that talk about that. There might even be Christian people that talk about that. You certainly don't want me as your financial expert, but I have spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks praying about what it means to walk with God with our wealth because this is ultimately about meeting and following Jesus. And people who are eager to get rich can lead themselves down a path of climbing over top of people, neglecting their family, betraying their coworkers, and in the end realized, though they got the riches that they wanted, they missed everything else. Proverbs is clear on that. But the love of money, or the eagerness to get money, is just a root of evil. It's not the only root of evil. And yet, when we have freedom with our finances, We are ultimately free to follow God wherever he calls us and to whatever he calls us to. So the million dollar question might even point to that. If money were no obstacle, what would it mean to follow God wherever he calls us to and to whatever he calls us to? So rather than have finances be a stress point in our lives, how can finances simply be a tool in our life that does provide a roof over our heads, and yes, provides clothes for our back, maybe even shoes for our feet, or a lot of shoes for our feet, but ultimately is a tool that we can bring praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ that the world could see. So that's what I think we should spend a few minutes talking about. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Proverbs with wisdom. In fact, Proverbs 23.5, if you can help me out there, Brian, it says, Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. We can run after finances, but we can't just run after finances. They just can sprout wings and fly away. But we can follow Jesus with our wealth. So, I want to talk for a few minutes about why freedom with our finances, or what I'm calling wise wealth, is worth pursuing. What does God's word say about why it's worth pursuing? Why this is a goal worth pursuing? Financial freedom isn't defined by the number of possessions we have, per se, that we hold on to, but rather the possessions that we can give away. Freedom with our finances is about holding on to money without grasping for money. And so I think the first reason why freedom with our finances or wise wealth is a goal worth pursuing is because wise wealth prepares you for a rainy day or prepares you for the storms of life. Think about how Jesus said it in Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is pretty much the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, If you hear my words and you put them into practice, you're like a wise person who builds his house on the rock. See, when the rains came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against the house, it did not fall. But everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice, they are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rains came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell with a great crash. Jesus saying what we know to be true, storms always come. In fact, we can pretty much go all the way to the almost beginning of the Bible, and we find out that there are storms. Genesis 1 and 2, God made this great place that didn't have storms, and then we messed it up. And then the rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 on is how God is redeeming and restoring all that is broken in the world, and that includes you and me and all of us. And so from that point on, there are storms, and we will face them. Some of them may be our fault. Many of them are not our fault. But being wise with our wealth means that we prepare for the storms of life. Now, some people think that getting new breaks are a a storm— like, they're a giant financial crisis. That, oh my gosh, I need new brakes. But most of the time, needing new brakes is routine maintenance on a car. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for helping me learn that. Houses break down, they need maintenance, cars need maintenance, people get sick. These things just happen in life. I don't know if they're a storm or not. Saving money helps prepare us against those storms. And Proverbs 21.20 says that the house. Of the wise have stores of choice foods and oil, but a foolish person, they just devour everything they have. And financial expert David Bach, I don't know if you read him or listen to him, he's the author of The Automatic Millionaire. He says 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 70%. Meaning at the end of the month, all the money has vanished. There's nothing left for emergencies, repairs, savings, or giving. There's no extra. For the storms of life. It's one of the reasons that we as a church have three months, roughly three months of expenses in the bank. Not because we just want to make money or save money, but just in case. We want to have a reserve, and our finance team has worked very hard because this wise wealth isn't just a personal goal, it is a communal goal. And we'll see that. The second reason why I think this goal is worth pursuing that we see in Proverbs is that wise wealth allows you and I to be genuinely generous. I mean, Proverbs 29.7 says that the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. In fact, 28.27 says those who give to the poor will act nothing, but those who close their eyes to the poor receive many curses. You know, Proverbs is filled with wisdom about how the righteous are those who care for the poor. And I don't know how many homeless people you see on your way to work or on your way home or as you go throughout your week. I don't know how many people with signs on the street corners you see. But I know some of the times what I'm thinking when I see those people is, I hope they don't see me. And yet, over and over and over, if we really think about more than just the tip on the corner, but actual help to that person in need. Most of us would say, I just wish I could do more. I just don't have enough margin to really help those people. See, Proverbs nineteen seventeen 17 says, whoever's kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what he has done. Think about how often someone has come to the door having you, giving you this opportunity to sponsor them or give to them or when you've heard of someone that is taking a trip or going on a mission trip or just someone in need and you've looked at them and said, hmm, I wish I could, but I, but I can't. Now, some of us shut our ears to the poor because that's what the, the word says. Shut our ears to the poor because we have a callous heart. Our heart's just hard. We hear about all the things in the world, or maybe we just don't understand the generousness that we talked about at communion of the God of the universe coming as a humble human and and giving his life for us and the generosity and the sacrifice that that means. We just don't really let that sink into our heart, and so when we see the cries of the poor, we just shut off to it. But others of us, We see those cries of the poor, and our hearts go out to them, but we see all the cries of the poor. And if we don't see them all with our own eyes, we see them on the news, we see about these things in need, or the tragedy that strikes, or someone sends us a really glitzy, flashy um, marketing tool that's that's for the kingdom of God, and we go, oh, gosh, I want to give, and 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 all of a sudden, we're completely overwhelmed with all of these giving opportunities. And so we say no to all of them, because we can't do all of them. We don't do any of them. But to the poor person, whether your heart is cold or your heart is callous, the result is the same. The poor person doesn't get the help they need. Now, it's really, really important to remember right now, especially if you're walking out because you don't like what I said, it's really important to remember that people who are first responders people who are military, people who are counselors, people that hear about these types of hard situations all the time have to practice incredible disassociation techniques, a fancy word for saying not think about them all the time, otherwise they would go depressed. It's true, and it's a reality, and and in our world, we have needs coming to us at all the time. We now live in this global village where literally the entire globe is connected. Well, when Proverbs was written... Across the world meant about 300 miles. And so the needs of the world meant the needs you could see across the village or maybe the next village. It meant the poor or the powerless or the stranger within hundreds of miles, not the entire world. And so if you're a first responder or not, remember that when Proverbs said this, the world looked very different. We can still follow the principle, but we have to be careful about what we think we are called to meet. So I often say, I do for one what I wish I could do for everyone, but I don't stop doing things because otherwise my heart will grow cold or will grow callous. And so this idea of having this goal worth pursuing to be genuinely generous It needs to be, I think, understood in that vein. But it gives us margin to meet some needs. Now, we decided as a church to do this 90-day tithe challenge last year. And when we did this, we'd never done anything like this before. We said, well, for three months, give 10% of your income, and, and we'll take anything that's over and above what we regularly re- receive, and we'll send half of it out to missions. And we'll send, we, we helped sponsor one of our church planters' friends who was Loatian, um, and he went back from planting a church in Brooklyn Park to planting a church in Laos. And almost 10,000 people have received Christ in his work, in the ministries that he's been doing there. We helped send him there. We sponsored 30 kids from the Sheridan story at Westview, kids who didn't have enough food on the weekends to make it to school on the next day. On Monday, they were just drained. They, they were, all they could do was think about getting there early enough to have the breakfast, because if they missed that breakfast, then they couldn't learn until lunch, because they were so starved from the weekend. We have 30 kids that have received this weekend food program all throughout the year, or, excuse me, from the middle of November through the year because of the generosity of you giving, of participating in that. Not to mention the 1,000 pounds of food that was given through our Food on the First, not to mention the five armful of love families that were helped through this past year that was about 60 gifts and 70 pairs of shoes and backpacks to kids in our district that didn't have what they needed for school. That's the kind of things that God honors because those who refresh others will be refreshed. God loves to delight in someone who refreshes others because then he knows that if he gives them more, they will continue to refresh others. That allows us to be genuinely generous. The third thing that is a reason why wise wealth is worth pursuing, is simply because wise wealth beats being a slave to debt. The thing I love about Proverbs is it kind of just cuts to the chase. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Now, I don't know the last time you owed someone a large amount of money, but maybe you felt indebted to them or imprisoned to them. The Bible says that you're a slave to that. And yet, when you're out of that, think about it. You and I are radically free to serve Jesus when we are financially free. We can serve Jesus when we're out of debt, and when we can't serve Jesus, or we can't when we're in debt, it's very hard to serve Jesus. In fact, I have students that I used to minister to, who literally have thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, or sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in college loans, want to serve as missionaries around the world, and until that debt's cleared, they can't do it. Same is true for you and me. We are not free to serve Jesus when we're crippled under this debt. And according to that financial expert, seven of ten people would not be able to cover a $5,000 emergency without borrowing money or putting it on a credit card. You know, I'm not saying you have to get up and cut up all your credit cards, but just think about the fact that it's about, what, 20% interest rate on a credit card? That's like a double tithe to the kingdom of MasterCard. Like, that's not good. Just, what if you could give a tithe to the Master? That'd be awesome. God would use that. I remember uh, this beautiful family of four, they lived in a five-bedroom house, and um, they struggled to make the ends meet month after month, and anytime one of their children had something that they needed or something extra that they wanted to do, there was always this little argument about it, and one time I asked him how he was doing in a moment where it seemed tense, and this guy just looked at me and he said, just when you get a little bit older, don't buy too much house. We bought something that we thought we could afford, and and it's been so hard to make it every month. I'm miserable. Have you ever bought something that was a little out of reach, and you really wanted it, and you couldn't enjoy it, because the payments were just killing you? This this friend lost his job. They moved months later to a two-bedroom home that they rent, they've never been happier because they're out of that weight of that debt and they are free to serve Jesus and they love it. Now, churches can get into trouble too in this way. I would love to have a building for restoration. I would love to have this permanent campus facility, and it's just not the right time because we would, we, although we might be able to, and financially it looks good, if we invest our money in that way at this time, we would put ourselves in a position, I think, that we would, we would hinder other ministries. So while I think it's coming, I don't think it's coming super soon. So those are three reasons why becoming wise in our wealth Matters. I think from the book of Proverbs, it says it prepares us for the storms of life, it allows us to be genuinely generous, and it beats being a slave to debt. So if we just said, amen, let's get on with the vision meeting and hear about the good things that God is doing in the midst of us, you might leave going, I don't really know what to do with all that great, wonderful truth from God. So I thought, well, what would Solomon say? And in the practical wisdom of Solomon, I think there are four steps to becoming more wise in our wealth. And the first is stop sinking. See, Proverbs 13, 7 says, one person pretends to be rich and yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor and has great wealth. So how do you know you're sinking? Well, if your monthly expenses are greater than your monthly income, you might be sinking. If you have unpaid bills from the month before last, you might be sinking. If you constantly worry about money or get this pit in your stomach when the credit card bill comes, you might be sinking. And if your most solid financial plan is going back to the question we asked at the beginning, what if I could just win a million dollars? Or I have this really rich relative that I'm hoping gives us this windfall. I'm kind of praying they die sooner than later. God forgive me for that. Then you might be thinking, but here's the amazing thing, okay? People get out of debt all the time. Just like people start exercising who've never done it regularly, just like people stop smoking even though they've done it all the time, just like people lose weight like they've never done it before, and it happens all the time. It is hard, but God is faithful in it. You can get out of debt. And we have several people who've gone through Financial Peace University. If you are interested in that, write it down in the back as you leave today. We'd love to take a group through another class, but you just need to stop thinking. And sometimes it means trusting God with your needs. There is something beautiful and childlike about seeing something you want. I still do this. My wife would probably say you don't do it enough, but I do. See something that I want and I wait to buy it. Even though I could, I wait. And I ask God, is this something I need? Is this something I want? Is this something I would want in 30 days? And there's something truly childlike about asking God to enter your purchases. To inviting him into your walk, even when it includes your wallet. Because this isn't a talk about saving money. It is a talk about walking with Jesus. Sometimes it means... Not only trusting God with your needs, but it means trusting God in your place in life, your assignment. There are lots of us that would like to be somewhere else or do something else, and yet in the waiting, God is teaching. In the place where you are, if you don't like where you are, simply ask God why he has you there in a genuine way and what he wants you to learn. There are all kinds of stories about people who have been anointed by God, special people chosen by God that ended in, up in really, really stinky places. The pit in the bottom of a dungeon, Joseph, um, leaving the prince of Egypt and going into smell with sheep like Moses. Um, Jonah is in the belly of a whale. All of these people are anointed by God, David in a stinky cave. And that's exactly where God had them to teach them who they were and whose they were. And so, can you trust God in your waiting and in the assignment that he has you for? So that's what it means to stop sinking. I think it also means that we have to choose to live below our means. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but the fool spends whatever they get. To choose to live below your means means that unlike um, the average American who eats out four times a week, that's what the National Restaurant Association says, maybe you'd like to eat out once a week. Do you know if you did that? If you just ate out once a week instead of four times a week, according to the National Restaurant Association, you'd save over $6,200 a year. That's a really great start in an emergency fund or maybe a new car fund. And speaking of new cars, if you are um, the average American and you have a car payment of $378 a month for five years, I looked it up, um, and you're 25 years old and and you have this job and you're like, yes, I can buy this new car. And instead you choose not to buy the new car. You drive the really old but paid for car that doesn't get you a lot of dates, but, you know, you drive it, and you take that $378, hang with me now, teenagers, this is really important for you too, okay, $378 a month from 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, okay, invest that money, drive the old car. After that, stop saving. Buy the car you want, you will have over a million dollars at 65 years old if you can, you know, make what the interest rates of the market say that you would make. A million dollars. Discipline. Choosing to live below our means. But it's hard because, you know, if you're on Facebook, there's over a billion people on Facebook. And when you put on Facebook, you don't put real You put better than real. You put the Instagram filtered you. You put the photoshopped you on. You you look at a billion people who are trying to be happier or more successful or richer. They're putting up their exotic vacation or their new car or their big house. And if you compare yourself to them, guess what? You will be depressed because you will compare yourself with the real you. Not the Facebook you. The real you. So choosing to live below your means means that I'm going to have to spend my money, not like I watch my friends on Facebook, because they're people in debt. They're people who are giving to the kingdom of MasterCard. They're people who are not walking with Jesus everywhere they want to be. They're walking with MasterCard everywhere they want to be. So just decide to live below your means. And if that's hard for you, because it's hard for me sometimes, I have to compare down rather than compare up. Because on Facebook, you'll always compare up. But when you consider that the, if you make $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of world wage earner, earners. If you make, make $70,000 a year or more, you are in the top, 25, the top quarter of 1% of wage earners in the world. So sometimes it does help me to think, I don't know if I really, like, if I add up all my hours and think about what I make, like, $20 an hour just seems depressing. Well, people in Ghana make, like, eight cents an hour. I know that their living conditions are different, but sometimes it does help me to compare down. Because comparison kills our contentment, and the only way we can live below our means is to practice contentment. Third, and we're almost done. Save a little bit over a long time. Proverbs 13 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers little by little makes it grow. Sometime along the way, I learned that you should give 10% of your money, you should save 10% of your money, and you should live on 80%. I think it started when my parents used to give me a dollar for allowance, and one quarter went into savings, and one quarter went into the offering. And then they started giving me two quarters for offering, and then they're like, if you want to make any money, you better like, do some chores around here, and you can get an allowance. So that's just what I learned. That's what we shared with our kids, and that's how we've lived our life. We give 10%, we save 10%, we live on 80%. And little by little, it's starting to grow. And if you can do that with a quarter and you're young and it seems insignificant, then when it's not insignificant amount of money, you can do it later. So we give a little bit and it saves over a long time and we can prepare for those storms of life. We can be genuinely generous when the needs arise. And finally... If you can't give 10%, please don't feel guilty. If you're like not saving right now because you just can't make the ends meet, don't feel shame in this because Jesus loves you exactly where you are, as you are, unconditionally, and there is no shame in that. This is Proverbs' practical way of walking with God with our finances. So if it's not 10, try five. If it's not five, try two. Start somewhere. Build the habit. God will make it Grow because he doesn't just want you to accumulate money, he wants you to live in his kingdom and join him in the partnership of reaching people for his good and his glory. And that's the last thing to give to God's agenda first. We stop sinking, we choose to live below our means, we start saving a little bit, and then we give to God's agenda first. And we're talking about what we feel like God's agenda is for the next year for restoration in about five, ten minutes from now at our vision meeting. There is child care. You are welcome to come. But Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says that when we honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of our crops, then your barns are full and overflowing and your vats brim with new wine. Now, most of us are not uh, farmers in here. But when this was written, there were no irrigation systems. There were no pesticide controls. You were a farmer, you worked really hard, and you prayed really hard. Because one disaster could just destroy your crops. And in that time, there are two harvest seasons There's March, April, May, and there's a harvest in June, and then there's July, August, September, and then there's a harvest in October, or late October, November. And so the first fruits were the produce of the March, April, May time. And so you gave to God out of those things when there may not have been much left from the winter. And so that required an incredible amount of trust. But that's what Jesus invites us to. That's what the Lord is inviting us to. And he's asking you and I to do that with a thankful heart. And sometimes that might be a little bit hard for you. It's a little bit hard for me sometimes. But Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. Again, this isn't a spiritual discipline investment strategy. This is with faith, We can walk with God and please God. And when we give to God's agenda first, like we were singing at the beginning, it changes the way we see and it changes the way we seek. Have you ever bought a new car and all of a sudden seen that car everywhere where you used to not see it before? Are you with me? Are you with me? Yes, you've done this before? Well, when you start giving to God's agenda first, guess what? You start to see God's kingdom and his activities and the things that he's doing and the ways he's changing people in the same way. That's why we give to God's agenda first. Yes, it honors him. Yes, he asks us to do it, but it changes us. And he says, if you refresh others, he will give you more opportunities to refresh others. So please, as we close our service, as would you consider staying for our vision meeting and hearing about the ways that God is calling us to refresh others? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the ways in which you speak, for the time to go through your word and Proverbs and look at wisdom. Pray that what is not of you would would go away, but what is of you would just start to plant in our hearts, no matter how old we are and where we are. That we would start to have our faith impact the way we spend our finances. God, that's why we bring offering to you, so that every week, every moment, even if we give somewhere else or we give online, that we could have a conversation with you about our finances, that that the way we spend and the way we invest and the way we give would not be something we do as ourselves alone, but we would do with you. So as we prepare for this offering, God, we realize it's not about growing this place, It is about seeing your kingdom advance, to seeing more people understand you, who you are, what you've done, and how they can partner with you to see the world redeemed. God, that is our hope. I pray for those specifically, God, that had such trouble hearing these words because of where they're at. I pray that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them completely, that you walk next to them, that you smile at them, and you want your best for them. I pray that even now, if someone needs prayer, we could just go back to the prayer cove and we could spend some time with you, God, and discern what it means for them. They would have the courage to join. In Jesus' name, amen.